I've said my messages prior to Easter would be on the cross. Then on Easter Sunday, we'll have a great production here that's going to be a blessing to challenge you and stir your heart. It'll be a great occasion to bring visitors on Easter Sunday when we have this production that our music department is going to present to us. It'll just be a great, great blessing to all of us, I know. And uh, today is the first of the three messages on the cross prior to Easter. The Sunday after Easter, I will preach on Paul's statement in Galatians, where he declared, God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. I will glory in the cross will be my message Sunday after Easter. And we're still leading up to Easter, and we've got a lot of great, fantastic days ahead of us, challenged to see what God's going to do. And uh, I don't know if you still have your phones or your tablets turned on or not. If you do, then you know it's 1138. Well, you knew anyway, didn't you? So, so I'm just telling you that it'll probably take me till about 12.10 this morning to finish. I'm going to save the best part of it for the last 10 minutes. Just so you know, and you know how long you need to stay. But God is moving, and we're so glad. I welcome you this morning to turn with me in your Bible to John chapter 19. As I preach to you a message this morning, I will confess to you, I have preached on this subject a number of times in the past, and I've always called it the same title, but somehow it's never turned out to be quite the same message every time. Over the years, it's developed and uh, progressed and I hope uh, matured, and uh, I look back at some old, old notes from many years ago when I preached a message that I called Who Crucified Christ, and I realized how much more God has enabled me to discern from the scriptures about the cross than I knew in those days. When we start out following Jesus, about all we know about the cross is that Jesus died on the cross. And factually, we don't really have to know any more than that, but in maturity, we ought to know more. We ought to understand more. So I hope today that I bring you a message that no matter how many times I've preached about the cross and the crucifixion, that this is a message with my own latest development of maturity of understanding and discernment that the Lord's given me that I will pray and have prayed that God will allow me to communicate clearly to you. John chapter 19, starting with verse 16. This is something all of us already know. This is what it says. So they took Jesus and went out, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him. Father, may the impact of the death of Jesus on the cross affect us today more deeply 
stronger, more powerfully than it ever has before. Help us to see into the depth of the cross as we have not seen it before. And we ask it in the name of him who died on that cross and rose again from the dead, Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. There are a lot of misconceptions about the cross. Some things have been misunderstood. Some things have been gleaned from tradition. I'll give you just one example. People think that Jesus fell under the load of the cross. There's nothing in the Bible that said Jesus that Jesus fell as he was carrying the cross. People think it because one of the Gospels records that the soldiers called Simon of Cyrene out from the crowd and put the cross on him, required him to carry it up the hill. From that, many people have assumed that Jesus fell under the cross. I'll tell you the reason I don't think he did. Because I don't think he ever failed in anything. I don't think he ever failed in anything, including carrying his cross. They may have seen that he was weakening. Certainly he was. He was stumbling. Certainly he was. But if they hadn't called that man out to carry and loaded it on him to take it the rest of the way. I have no doubt whatsoever Jesus would have got all the way to the top of Golgotha and laid that cross down. I don't know of any place else in the Bible he ever failed, and I don't think that was the one time that he did. But that's just to show you that there are some misconceptions. There are some things that are not clearly understood about it. The most difficult thing to understand about the cross is the fact that God put forth a plan to and for the world for salvation through the death of Jesus on the cross of Calvary. To many people in this world today, that makes no sense whatsoever. That one person could die for all the sins of all the people ever born, ever will be born into the world. That makes no sense to a worldly-minded person. And I understand why it doesn't make any sense. In fact, Paul declared that the preaching of the cross is to those that perish foolishness. And it's still true today. The preaching that I preach about the cross is to the vast majority of the people foolishness that I or that you or that we would believe such a thing as I declare to you in this message of the cross. Paul says the world looks at it as foolishness. And it is that to the world. But the foolishness of God, the Bible says, is wiser than men. And the greatness of God is not diminished by the fact that he capsuled his plan of salvation in the death of his son on the cross and his resurrection three days later from the dead. It's miraculous, the whole thing entire story. And in fact, one of the times that I plan on preaching about the secrets of the cross, I will tell you about things that people may know or they never really pay any attention to. They're, they're, they're important because Jesus was surrounded as he died on the cross by the miraculous acts of God the Father. He could not take away the suffering of Jesus and allow the penalty for sin to be paid at the same time. But he did surround his death with the miraculous so that the world could look at it in many different ways and see that the hand of Father God 
was active and controlling the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, his son, on the cross. Things that the Bible tells us that are hardly mentioned, hardly ever talked about, but are there, and I believe the reason that the record is there is to let us know in more ways than we usually think about that the death of Jesus on the cross was a supernatural act that Father God used to bring us into his own salvation and to secure us in our eternal life. So who crucified Christ? From a worldly perspective, you'd have to say the Jews crucified him. I don't mean to say this, that, that we ought to be, and this is a despicable thing, that people go about today speaking of Jewish people as Christ killers and that, that's something that is, 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 it just ought to be never, not only never spoken from our lips, but never coming to our minds. That's not the fact of the matter. The Jewish nation only had responsibility for crucifying Jesus through its leadership. There's a lot of leadership in this country that we don't agree with. I thought I'd get a really big amen on that. <laughs> but, but I will tell you that we can't change a lot of things that the leadership of our country does. And the world looks at it as we're responsible for what they do. So I'm telling you that the Jewish people, many of them, of course, were against him. But there were many, many of them who were supporters of Jesus who suffered in agony in their minds and their hearts once they saw what had happened to him on the cross. But the religious leaders, the religious leaders were constantly, throughout his life and ministry, were constantly trying to find a way to arrest him and kill him and take him off the scene because he was a challenge to what they were doing. The Scripture makes it clear as you read the four Gospels, and I recommend that you read the four Gospels. It's wonderful to read the book of Revelation it's great to read the book of Leviticus. It's all right to read Isaiah and Ezekiel. Certainly, they're part of the Scriptures. But if you don't know the four Gospels, you don't know the Bible. You can know everything else. You can know who the Antichrist is supposed to be. You can know where he's coming from. You can know what 666 means. But if you don't know the four Gospels, you just don't know what you ought to know about the Bible. Because the four Gospels reveal Jesus Christ himself to us. Jesus said it again and again. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He presents himself. And, and those people who say, well, he never said he was the Son of God. Friend, he said it over and over and over. He said it every day. The religious leaders of his day hated him for two reasons. Because he was not a keeper of the law. He did things on the Sabbath that they said were against the law. And he claimed that he was the Son of God. You read the four Gospels clearly and you'll see... That's what they hated about him. It wasn't they didn't like his looks. They didn't, you know, he was a Jew like they were. No, it wasn't a racial thing. It wasn't anything except it was an animosity against him for his challenge of their authority. And his claiming that, above all else, his claim that he was actually the Son of God. You'll find it from the first time Jesus started talking in his ministry, right up until the time that he appeared in his illegal trials before the high priest, before Pilate, and all of that time at the end 
when the trials were taking place, he let it be known he was the son of the living God. His disciples even came to realize it, fully realize it after the resurrection. But that was what the religious leaders hated about him. You could say Pontius Pilate was guilty of crucifying him, and yes, he was, washing his hands and saying, I'm innocent of the blood of this innocent man, didn't make him guiltless. He still had a responsibility, but it was far beyond that. You could say that the Romans were guilty of crucifying. They certainly were the Roman soldiers who, with the authority of Rome, drove the nails in his hand and lifted him up on the cross and put the spear in his side. Of course, it was also a Roman centurion, a leader of a hundred soldiers, who cried out at the end, truly this man was the Son of God. It may seem like a contradiction in terms somewhere along the way, but it's, it's, it's difficult to pinpoint exactly who's responsible for crucifying when you look at it from a worldly point of view. You'll see it in a different, entirely a different way. But in Christianity, there's a, there's a totally different viewpoint about serving God. In Christianity, God, not man, offers the sacrifice for sin. Most religions, when there's any sacrifice offered, man has to bring the sacrifice. Man has to come with the sacrifice to try to gain the favor of God. In, in Christianity, in the message of the Bible, the truth of God's salvation, the sacrifice is offered by God the Father, not by any man. We have to offer no sacrifice when we come. All we have to do when we come to Jesus is give ourselves. The sacrifice, the price for sin has already been paid. The penalty has already been met. And in the death of Jesus on the cross, there is full and complete salvation for every person who will believe. And you, my friend, sitting here today, are not an exception to that statement. The salvation that Jesus provided on the cross by his death and then by his resurrection is available to you. That is done for you. The plan is for you. Salvation is yours by coming to Jesus Christ and asking him for it through his death because he died for you and for me. So, so the responsibility, the greater responsibility, and you'll have to understand the way I'm saying this now. You need to follow me in a, in a, in a spiritual view, a spiritual interpretation. I remember one time I, I, I preached this message, and I probably didn't make it very clear or not as I should have. And somebody went out and said, well, I, I, never knew that, I never knew that God killed Jesus, and I never knew Jesus committed suicide. Well, I've never said that, never thought it, never believed it. I'm not saying that today. But I do want you to understand where responsibility. And when I say responsibility, I'm not talking about accepting responsibility as guilty for something. I'm talking about something that is responsibility in a glorious way, in the greatest expression of love that's ever been declared. I'm talking about responsibility that made it possible for you and me to experience grace, salvation, forgiveness, eternal life. Responsibility is for Jesus' death is declared in, the, in probably the best-known single verse of the Bible. What would you think the, that verse would be? What do you think is the best-known single verse of all the Bible? And don't say Jesus wept because it's just two words. 
John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave. Gave his only son that whosoever believes in him would not have to perish but have eternal life. This is it. This is the responsibility of the, of the crucifixion of Jesus. God so loved the world that he gave someone titled that the world's greatest love story. And I believe it is. I believe it is. God so loved us, so loved everyone in the world, that he gave his only son as a sacrifice so that whoever Whoever, anyone without exception, whoever will believe in him and believe in that gift God made will be saved and have everlasting life. So God is responsible in a loving, glorious, powerful, wonderful way. He's responsible for the death of Jesus because we could not be saved any other way than the sacrifice of eternity. Throughout the Old Testament, they offered sacrifice after sacrifice, filled up the brazen altar, spilled the blood of animals, thousands of gallons of blood spilled through the ages in the sacrificial system of the Old Testament. But it was all symbolic, pointing with one great majestic finger from the brazen altar of the Old Testament where sacrifices were made and blood was shed all the way to the cross of Calvary at the skull-shaped hill of Golgotha where Jesus died for us, all of those sacrifices pointed that way so that not all the blood of bulls and goats on Jewish altars slain could give one guilty sinner peace or take away a stain. But Christ the heavenly Lamb takes all our sins away, a sacrifice of nobler name and richer blood than they. Hallelujah. This is what the Bible says. This is what Paul said. Paul had the greatest understanding of the New Testament message because it was given to him by revelation from God so he could put it down for all of us. This is what Paul wrote to the Corinthians. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. God was in Christ reconciling the world. How could he not count the trespasses of the world against us? Our trespasses, our sins. How could he not count that against us? did not count him against us because he was in Christ, dying for our sins, reconciling us to him. That's the message of his glorious and precious salvation. Father God steps up to the bar of justice for all the world to hear in simple terms. He says, I did it for you. Why did you put this why did you put this mysterious plan, this, this misunderstood plan, this almost incomprehensible plan that's beyond human acknowledgement even? Why did you do that? Why did you put such a plan in place? And the answer God comes back and brings to us is, I did it for you. I did it for you. Because he loved the world so much, he loved us so much, that he gave. His only Son, so that we can live in Him. And then, you cannot...
cannot read the Gospels and not be impacted by this powerful truth that God will give you understanding to see. Jesus accepts responsibility for dying on the cross. When his disciples wanted to fight to set him free, you know, when they came to take him and to arrest him in that familiar garden where he often met with his disciples, where he went frequently to pray, when they came to arrest him and Judas walked up and kissed him, they were going to take him by force. Jesus willingly went with them. But his disciples at that occasion, at least at that moment, were ready to fight. Now, it's true they fled and left him later on out of fear, but they were ready to fight. Particularly, Peter was ready to fight to set him free. I'll give him that. I'll give Simon Peter that much. He might have been scared later on, but right now he was ready to fight. He pulled out his sword, and he swung at one of the men. He didn't care who it was. It didn't matter to him who he was. If it, it happened to be one servant of the high priest, but it didn't matter to him. Didn't know his name. Didn't want to know it. He just wanted to kill him. So when he pulled out that sword and swung it at him, he, you know what he was going to do? What he was trying to he, he was going to be one of the first people that beheaded somebody. Peter was going to cut his head off. That was his intention. That wasn't what Jesus told him to do. It wasn't what God expected him. This is what Peter decided to do. And the reason I know that is because I've read enough about him to know him. He cut off his ear, but he wasn't trying to cut off his ear. He was trying to cut off his head. The reason he got his ear because the guy saw that sword coming quickly enough he was able to move to the side. When he did, that sword just clipped his ear and took that off. Jesus, the Bible says Jesus healed him. about that many times. I don't know if he just gave him a new ear or if he picked that one up off the ground and dusted it off and stuck it back on his head. I don't know. But the Bible says it healed his ear. <laughs> but Simon Peter was ready to start swinging that sword and anybody who came toward Jesus, he was going to swing that sword to help him. So Jesus told him to put the sword away. We're not here to fight. We're here to surrender. That's the message. We didn't come here. These people came. They might have come to arrest me. They might have come to fight if they had to fight. We're not here to fight. We're here to surrender. Because the message of the cross is a message of surrender. Jesus gives himself up as a sacrifice on Calvary so that our sins can be washed away in the poured forth shed blood of the Savior of the world. So Jesus accepts responsibility. I love some of the things that Jesus said about us. I, I can't give you all of them. There's just so many. I can't give you all of them. I'm going to give you a few things that Jesus said. John chapter 10. You know, chapter 10 of John is a wonderful chapter. That's the chapter that has, uh, well, read it. Go read it. It has a lot of great things in it. Great things about the good shepherd, about the abundant life that Jesus gives us, and those great powerful statements. And and, and, uh, this is one of the things in chapter 10 of John that Jesus said, verses 17 and 18. For this reason, this is Jesus speaking. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. I do it in surrender to the Father. I do it giving up my will to His will. He went on to say in the 18th verse, No one takes it from me. Nobody could take Jesus' life from Him. But I, he said, I lay it down of my own accord. I'm willing to give up my life voluntarily. I lay my life down. I choose to do it. He said this, I have authority to lay it down. 
and I have authority to take it up again. Hallelujah. So, so Jesus was willing to die, but he knew the plan. He still had to go through all the suffering, all the agony. He had to go through it all. And I want you to know the agony that Jesus suffered on the cross was, was the pain, the physical pain was the least suffering that Jesus had to do. I grant you it was intense. I grant you that it was death-dealing to him. But that was not the greatest suffering he had to endure. The greatest suffering Jesus endured on the cross was that in the mind and in the sight of Father God, he was sin. Not carried our load of sin, not hauled our sin up there with him and dropped it off at the cross. No, he in the sight of Father God became sin. And he looked at Jesus. Father had to look at Jesus as sin. He became sin. He was sin. It had to be sin, sacrificed, crucified on that cross for redemption to be complete, for your sins to be forgiven. They had to be crucified on that cross with Jesus as the sacrifice. And that's what makes it possible for you, believing God, to be set free from your sins because your sins were nailed to the cross when Jesus went to Calvary. The wonderful thing about it was, knowing that he was going through all that, imagine the sinless, eternal, perfect Son of God had to become sin. He became sin for us. That's what the Bible says. He who knew no sin, this is, this is the simple terms of the Bible. This is what Paul said. He who knew no sin was made sin for us. He became sin for us. Father God had to see him as sin. He was sin. He became sin for us. Why? Because through that, we can become the righteousness of God in him. That's what the Bible says. Exactly what the Bible says. He who knew no sin was made sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's the message. Jesus died for that reason. John 14, 30. You know John 14. You can say almost everything about John. Every chapter is wonderful. John 14 is really powerful. If all you know of John 14 is the first verses, let not your heart be troubled. If, you, if that's all you really remember about John 14, please go read it again. Read the whole chapter. This is a part of John 14, verse 30. In verse 30, Jesus said, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. That's Satan, of course. The ruler of this world is coming. He's coming against me. He's coming to attack me. He's been trying to destroy me ever since I was born in Bethlehem. He's coming to attack me. He's coming against me. But, Jesus said, he has no claim on me. <laughs> he has no claim on me. He can't do anything to me, Jesus said. The only thing that Satan can do to me is what Father God allows him to do. The only thing he can do to me is what I surrender to the will of the Father for him to do. He cannot do anything. He has no claim whatsoever on me, Jesus said. I am free from the clutches of Satan. I may become sin, but it's not because I'm a sinner. It's because I'm a sacrifice. 
I will become sin, not because I'm a sinner, but because I'm a sacrifice. I hope you'll write that down and remember that. He, be, he, he became sin, not because he's a sinner, but because he became a sacrifice. And then, in 18th chapter, Jesus said, Shall I not drink this cup? This is his surrender. This is his surrender. Shall I not drink this cup? The Father has prepared for me. This is what he's planned for me. This is what he's prepared for me. For me to drink this cup of bitter sorrow. For me to become the very dregs of sin. The very offscouring of sin. For me to be sin in the Father's eyes. I will drink this cup the Father has given me. As you see now, we see, as we see in Gethsemane, we see the will of the Father and the will of the Son perfectly aligned. Father, he prayed in Gethsemane, if it is possible, meaning if it's possible for you to save the world, forgive the world for sin, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Obviously, I would rather not have to become sin in your eyes. But if that's what it takes to save the lost, that's what I will do. Not what I will, Father, but what you will. And the will of the Father had already been put in place. The Son agreed to it, accepted it, and gave up his life on the cross. So why should an object of Roman disgrace and Jewish disgust be the emblem of our worship and the axiom of our faith? There it is, an empty cross. That, the symbol of our faith. Declaration of what we believe. Why? Because all that I'm saying to you this morning in this message from God's Word, quoting the words of Jesus more than anything else, all of it is saying that this is the power of salvation. This is the victory over sin. This is the escape from the gates of hell. This is eternal life with Father God. So at the cross we find the majesty and love of God disclosed. We find sin and bondage of the world exposed. Love disclosed, sin exposed, and the forgiving plan of God put in place for every one of us. When I surveyed the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count the loss and poor contempt on all. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. Jesus died for me. This is, for many people, a complicated message. I don't think it's complicated, but it is to many people. I know it is. I'm going to have you tell you how, just how simply I started off the first time I ever heard about the cross.
a little boy invited to go to a Methodist vacation Bible school. That's what we called it back then. Out of school. They rounded up all the kids in the neighborhood and invited us to go in right across the street from my house. So I went. First time I'd ever been to church. Didn't go back for a long time after either. I had nobody to show me the way. But they invited me to go. They told me if we'd go there, we'd have refreshments. We'd have Kool-Aid and cookies. We'd make things, do projects. So along the way, they were going to teach us some Bible. They didn't tell me anything about that. I wouldn't have mattered. I didn't know anything about it anyway. When they said Bible to me, they might as well have been saying Red Rider Comics. I would not know the difference. But I went to that. I went to that vacation Bible school. While I was over there eating cookies and drinking Kool-Aid and having a good time with all the boys and girls and playing around, the teacher one day said, Jesus died on the cross for you. That was foreign to me. I had no concept of what she was talking about. But they went on to talk about it, how Roman soldiers came and cruelly took him and led him up to the cross and nailed him to the cross. She kept on saying, he, he did this for you. He died for you. Now, I, I'm just telling you how simple I was. And I'm not real complicated today. But when I was a boy, <laughs> I didn't know anything. So I remember going back home, walking across the street, going up to my porch, and I'm walking across. And I, Man, I guess I should, it's a good thing he died for me because I guess they might have been coming for me today because he died for me. Would they come and they were going to take me? I've never heard about this, but she said he, that he died for me. So they would, I'm wondering, I really, I'm serious. I was really, I remember this so well. I was wondering, would they, those soldiers, would they, I've never seen a Roman soldier, whatever they are, but would they be coming here to get me and take me off and crucify me? That's, that was a total concept of my understanding about it at that time. I, it was a long time before I ever stood, understood any more about it. I really didn't ever care to understand him. They never came to get me, so I figured it was all right. Must have been true what she said. <laughs> they never showed up to get me crucified. I was okay. After a while, I forgot about it until years later. Years later, I remembered it. Right after I got saved, right after I truly got saved, I remembered. I remembered what had happened in that little Bethlehem vacation Bible school when that teacher told me, Jesus died. And with all that I've said to you today, with the depth of the Scriptures, and I believe there's a great depth to it, there's a great power to it, understanding it, it releases power about the cross in our lives. But with all I've said to you, it really still comes down to this just one thing. It's just this simple. It comes down to this. It's this simple. This is what it's all about. Jesus died for me. Jesus died for you. Jesus died for your sons and daughters. He died for your brothers and sisters. He died for your mom and dad. He died for everybody. He died for your family. He died for your friends. He died for your neighbors. Jesus died for you. He died for us all. So you can put your name in John 3.16. You can put your name in John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that Billy Register, little boy, knew nothing about God, could be saved. He loved the world. 
Whosoever, that's your name. God so loved the world that he gave his own begotten son so that Nelson could be saved, so that Brittany could be saved, so that Tyler could be saved, so that Melody could be saved. The powerful message of the cross, as complicated as it may be, when we go into the depths of it, the, the depths of theology, the, a, 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 as intense as it may be, it comes down to just this simplicity, just this, just this truth. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, so that David could be saved, so that Doug could be saved, so that Bob could be saved. That's what it says. That's what it says. That's what the truth is, my friends. That's what the truth is. And all that can be said about Calvary and all that can be said about the cross, the truth of the matter is, Jesus died for you and me. Will you stand with me, please, for prayer?